The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mal Bambergas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, or your truth journey brought you here, welcome home. And to listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, just go to VeritasRadio.com and subscribe. Tonight's special guest vowed as a teenager to follow in the footsteps of two 19th century explorers, John L. Stevens and Frederick Catherwood, who brought the ancient Maya cities to the world's attention. Dr. Clark set set out on a seven-year adventure from 2003 through through 2010 through Belize, Honduras, Guatemala, and Mexico, collecting stories of encounters, sky gods, giants, little people, and aliens among the indigenous people. She drove more than 12,000 miles, visiting 89 archaeological sites. Stevens and Catherwood visited only 44, and conducting nearly 100 individual interviews. The result is an enthralling series of unique, original, true stories of encounters with space travelers, giants, little people, and UFOs. Sky people may very well change the way you perceive and experience the world. Her name is Dr. Artie Sixkiller-Clark, a professor emeritus at Montana State University, who has dedicated her life and career to working with indigenous populations. She has been adopted by enrolled tribal members and given traditional names by three Northern Plains spiritual leaders, including the Blackfeet, women with great knowledge, the Northern Cheyenne, walks all women, and the Lakota Sioux, women who help who helps people. She holds degrees in English, history, psychology, and educational leadership. She's also a licensed therapist and has been a high school English teacher, a counselor, a school administrator, a university professor, and administrator. The author of several children's books and the best-selling Sisters in the Blood and Encounters with Star People on Tall Stories of American Indians. Her second book, In the Field of Ufology, Sky People on Tall Stories of of Alien Encounters in Mesoamerica, was released in December 2014. While retired from academia, she continues to travel and interview individuals throughout the indigenous world about their encounters with UFOs and aliens. And to learn more about Professor Artie Sixkiller-Clark, visit her website at sixkiller.com, which is also linked at ours. And directly from the beautiful state of Montana, USA, I would like to welcome Dr. Artie Sixkiller Clark. Hello, Dr. Clark, and welcome to Veritas. Hello, it's a pleasure to be here. The pleasure is all mine, and I had to read all that bio 
so that we can give the audience a great perspective of who you are. But you have written two books about the star people. How did you first learn about the star or the sky people? Well, I learned about it when I was a child. Uh, um, stories told to me um, uh, about the star people. And um, like all children, you know, you you grow up and you go to college and you um, you start your career and you put those stories behind you because they were the stories of your childhood. Um, but... Um, when I was, uh, when I first came to Montana State as a young assistant professor, um, I, uh, one of, I, I was a assistant professor, but I was also the uh, director of the Center for Bilingual Multicultural Education. And the center was, um, um, a rec- uh, among other things, we, we recruited, uh, Native American students to enter the fields of teaching uh, principalships and superintendents. Because when I came to Montana, there were very few Native people working uh, in reservation schools who were Native American. And so the university had, had a mission, the College of Education uh, had a mission to um, recruit Native students so that they could go back to the reservations and work as teachers and be role models and inspire young people to go on to school and get college degrees. And um, on my first trip out into uh, the to recruit on the reservation, um, uh, I met a young man. He he was the one who organized the uh, uh, my meeting on his reservation with students. And after we had um, finished, we agreed to go out to dinner together. And um, um, on our way back to his village. Uh, he said to me, he said, if you have a few minutes, I'd, I'd like to show you something. And I said, well, sure. And so he took me up in the mountains, up above his village, and he parked the car, and he said, come with me. If we're lucky, they'll, they'll come. And I said, well, who will come? And he said, well, the ancestors, the star people. And I'm sitting there thinking, my goodness, you know, you know, I've heard stories about the star people. Are, are there other tribes that think you know, say, say the same thing. So I became very um, uh, fascinated by the stories that he told me. And and so, and by the way, we did not see any UFOs that night. But as I would travel around, and if I were in um, casual situations, I would ask people, and I also would ask elders, uh, uh, people I worked with in the schools, uh um, uh, different people that I met, you know, are, did your tribe have any stories about star people? And then as they began um, knowing me and talking to me, then I began to ask, well, do you have stories about, contemporary stories about UFO sightings? And that's how I began collecting my stories. And originally I hadn't set out to write a book. I... um I just collected the stories because, for me, it was kind of a validation of where I came from. And um, years later, well, after I had retired at MSU, um, and um, I was uh, called out of retirement, I was asked to come out of retirement, 
and I do a five-year evaluation study of a tribal grant that had been awarded to a tribe. Uh, um, it was a $5 million a year grant, and I was asked to come out and, and do this evaluation. So I went to D.C., and I went through the training process, and I um, um, went down to the reservation, and I met with the, the key people involved in this um, grant implementation. And as I was, uh, we broke for lunch, and some women uh, who were going to be involved in the project and some others came in for lunch that day. And something came up about UFOs, and I began telling them some of the stories that I had collected. This one elderly woman looked at me, and she said, what are you going to do with those stories? And I said, well, um, I actually collected them for my own information. And she said, well, you know, you really need to think seriously about this. Uh, she said, what's going to happen to them after you pass? And I said, well... I'd probably just be thrown away. And she said, you know, this is part of the oral history, and you really should write a book about this. And uh, on my way back home, I thought, now, I'm not going to commit to a five-year evaluation contract and write a book at the same time because there's so many other things I want to do in my retirement. And, you know, and so... I said, which one should I do? And I decided to write the book. And so that's how Encounters with Star People came about. And, of course, my interest in, I've been interested, you know, and worked with indigenous people during throughout my career and have collected stories throughout uh, the United States and Alaska and in the South Pacific and Australia, New Zealand. And then um, in... Um, when I was a teenager, I just fell in love with um, a teacher gave me the book Incidents of Travel in Central America. She offers in the Yucatan. And as you mentioned, uh, uh, this was by John L. Stevens and his companion, who was an architect and the um, wonderful illustrator of the Maya cities that they discovered uh, in the jungles of uh of uh, Mesoamerica, and uh, I was so fascinated by their journey that I I told the teacher, I said, you know, one day I'm going to follow in their footsteps, and she said, well, you know, they did write a second book, and she gave me the incidents of travel in the Yucatan, and that book was <clears throat> about their second journey into Mexico. The first book, they actually went into Mexico, but didn't spend much time because um, Catherwood became very ill. Um, with malaria and, uh, they, Stevens finally resorted to just putting him on a boat and getting him back to New York City. And then they returned in 1941, uh, excuse me, 1841 for their second trip. And that was the book that resulted in incidents of travel in the Yucatan. So I decided back many, many, many years ago that I was going to follow in their footsteps. And, of course, you know, you read all the stories about, you know, the books that came out with Von Daniken and, and some other researchers that um, all of these great cities uh, were built by ancient astronauts or under the um, supervision of ancient astronauts because 
uh, the, the Maya couldn't have possibly had the technology that was needed to build these cities. And um, while I considered, it, considered their opinions quite ethnocentric, um, I decided that if I were going to make this trip, and because of my interest in UFOs, and um, I decided to combine the trip and along the way search out the ancient stories of sky gods uh, to learn if there were any um, um, contemporary stories of alien encounters and UFO sightings. And so that's how it all began. And that's that's quite a long speech I just gave there. <laughs> that's okay. How do you reconcile? By the way, may I call you Artie? Oh, yes. Yes, certainly. Thank you. How do you reconcile the reality learned in academia with the reality learned from your ancestors? Well, you know, um, a, a lot of people have asked me that, and I, um, I'll tell you something that I was told when I was a little girl. I would go to school and I would learn one thing, and I would at home I learned something else. And uh, I, I recall specifically um, uh, in a home economics class, for example, when I was a freshman in high school, the teacher taught us the food groups and saying, you know, this is what you're supposed to eat. And this is what you should eat for breakfast and lunch and dinner. And so she made us keep an account of all the things that we ate. Well, that wasn't what we ate in my home. And I remember being told, well, you keep what you learn at home at home. And you keep what you learn at school at school. And I learned to play that game, uh, if that's I suppose. I learned to accommodate, I should say what the teachers expected and what my home expected. So I literally learned to walk in two worlds. I was going to say, it's almost like living in two different worlds. Yeah, and that, that's exactly what I did. And that's the reason I think I could bridge academia and and be a teacher even of non-Indian students. And because, you know, um, a lot of the times when I was teaching, I would be working with very, you know, high-risk kids, and they weren't always Native Americans. I mean, there are a lot of high-risk kids that, you know, come from um, um, low-income homes and from ghettos and from different places that uh, confront violence and child abuse and all sorts of um, things. Um, not that all children from that group fall into that category, but many of them do. And um, certainly I came out of poverty, but, you know, I didn't come from that kind of a situation. But... I had a, a lot of empathy for for those uh, you know children who came from those environments. So I often found myself being an advocate and working with all children, and um, so I could relate to that to that situation. Um, and um, and and so you know I learned to walk in in both worlds. I it it. Uh, and school was a good training ground for that, but also my home because I was reminded, you know, quite frequently that um, this is what we do and this is what they do. How did they know, and now getting into the meat of things now, how did they know that the origins of the indigenous people of the Americas were traced to the Pleiades? Well, um, I had a... 
uh, uh, Maya, and El- uh, Maya Elder tell me that you know that they ha- they at one time owned a star map, and he said we knew our way around the universe. And I said to him, I said, well, what happened to it? He said, destroyed, burned. Uh, who, you know, I mean, you know, if you if you study um, that part of the history of of Mexico, for example, you know, there was a um, um, a missionary by the name of Landa, and Landa was a was a bishop who who literally was responsible for, you know, he carried out an inquisition in Mexico and, and literally was responsible for the the deaths of many of the spiritual leaders as well as burning all the the codices um, um, with the exception of the three that survived and all, you know, he destroyed the um, various religious uh, figures and... and uh, uh, different uh, things that were used in prayer, and um, and then was recalled um, uh, back to um, um, his country, and then uh, was um, you know verbally uh, chastised for his behavior in the New World, but then was sent back with the title of bishop, and. Um, uh, the, the people there, you know, a, a terrible fear of him. And, um, and he feeling guilty for what he had done, at least that's what some believe he tried to record a lot of the history and knowledge from talking with various people there. But it's nothing like having the original information and they didn't share with him their spiritual knowledge at all. Yeah, incredible person for being such a religious, you know, Bishop Diego de Landa <laughs> Calderon. Incredible, but he did almost like the burning of Alexandria all the way to the Maya people. Right. And um, the Maya people are very, um, you know, they a lot, a lot of misunderstanding that the Spanish defeated the Maya when, when that was only occurred in a couple of places because for most part, by the time that the Spanish arrived in in um, that part of the world, the great Maya cities had been deserted. There were only a couple of them still functioning at the time that that uh, um, um, this, the Cortez arrived. And uh, when I talked to the people about, you know, they simply had gone into the jungle, and and one elder uh, said to me, he said, "Well, you know." When a great catastrophe um, comes upon a on a people, um, you're no longer consi- uh, con- uh, uh, consumed by the survival of all. You're consumed with the survival of your family, and so basically, what happened to the to the Maya is that they just went into the jungle in small family groups and um, set about surviving. And they abandoned their cities. And I, I know that uh, recently research has come out saying that they think what happened to the Maya civilization uh, and why they abandoned their cities was they suffered a hundred-year drought. And they just had no way of producing food for large cities. You know, some of those cities had 100,000 people living in them. And they had no way of surviving, and so they simply abandoned those cities and and went into the jungle and small. 
Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.